On this edition of FedGov Today with Francis Rose, the back-to-office problem that's not just government's problem and tracking Congress's potential changes to your retirement. It's Thursday, August 31st, 2023. Welcome to FedGov Today with Francis Rose. The White House is asking agencies to, quote, aggressively execute back-to-office strategies this fall. President Biden's chief of staff, former deputy director for management at OMB, Jeffrey Zients, calls in-person work, quote, critical to the well-being of our teams. John Sawyer is Director of Education, Workforce, and Income Security Issues, and Michael Hoffman, Director of the Center for Economics at the Government Accountability Office. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me. John, I start with you. What exactly did you look at regarding telework, and what were you trying to learn as you looked at it? Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, thank you. We began this, this engagement by performing a literature search on what is out there related to telework. We we compiled some 181 studies and we vetted those studies to see what information they could give us that would help us to one, assess the the extent of telework after the pandemic or during the pandemic, and then two, to assess um what is the impact of telework on worker productivity and firm performance? From there, we, we narrowed those studies down to about 44, and we used those studies to really drive the findings and conclusions in our report. You looked broadly across the economy. This isn't specifically focused on the federal government, but as I read through your work, I see a lot of the issues that you examine that a lot of folks that manage people inside the federal government are thinking about. What did you want to learn as far as productivity and how did you go about examining all of those various sources and the ways that they evaluated productivity, gentlemen? Yeah, maybe we should start by talking about what we mean by by productivity. Um, So for productivity, we're talking about how much workers get done per hour. Um, and what made this challenging is that you probably need to measure productivity differently uh, for different kinds of jobs. Uh, so we saw research on call center employees, which looked at calls handled per hour uh, and customer satisfaction. We saw research on uh, computer engineers that looked at how many lines of code they wrote uh, per hour. So some of those measures obviously have some hard data to go with them, but we we saw research where um, in a lot of occupations, it's it's not it's not so easy to think about um, how much did you get done uh, in in an hour. So you have subjective self evaluation. You you have ma- you can ask managers how productive uh, were your were your employees uh, this week. And as as John indicated, we we tried to look at studies we thought we could really uh, reliably sort of answer these questions. Um, so we, we looked at eight studies that came from a number of different occupational settings uh, and ways of thinking about productivity, consistently found a small, immediate boost in productivity from working from home. Uh, and this research primarily comes from before the pandemic. We, we could tell you a little bit um, about why, if that would be of interest. But I think one thing to take away from this uh, is that you want to think about these as short-term effects uh, in really specific occupational or economic circumstances. Uh, and it could play out differently in, in different industries, and it could play out differently uh, over time as, as we look back on, on the growth of, of remote work in hindsight. Michael, that's an interesting point that you make there. I, and I'm curious, 
either of you, what was kind of the state of the art as far as research about telework before the pandemic? Did a lot exist out there for you to look at and you, and you were able to narrow it down? Or was was the body of work that existed already about telework and, and so on uh, maybe more limited? I, th- I think we uh, we did a lot of reading, and we were not entirely satisfied with uh, with what with what we read. Um, it was a relatively small pool of of studies, all it said and done. Uh, and the, the state of the art looks uh, looks almost like a like a randomized experiment in a lab. Uh, you you have a you have a group of a hundred employees, and you tell fifty they're going to work from home. Uh, and you still tell uh, the other 50, they're going to come into the office. You figure out how to measure their productivity and look back on them, you know, say over a, over a number of weeks. And there are not a lot of businesses that have gone through and done something that looked like a lab experiment there. Long term, what would be valuable in this space? I, I'm thinking about in particular, obviously for this audience, I'm thinking about a federal government agency who wants to really be able to answer the serious questions that their employees are asking, that their leadership is asking, that members of Congress are asking, and that the citizens that they serve are asking about whether their people should be present or not. And I know we're not here to decide that, but uh, the data that those people will want to use to make those decisions, I think certainly you have a unique point of vision, both of you, into what that data should maybe not what it should look like, but what kind of data it should be and then how one might go about finding that data and verifying that it's clean. And that is a good question. And, and I'm, I'm going to also uh, leave room for my colleague to respond. But, but when I think of about our work and what we found, one of the um, things that I believe that individuals who are looking to design the future of work must realize that there are confounding factors as as it relates to telework. Um, um, Some jobs, uh, it's just uh, some jobs do not lend itself to telework. That must be factored in. Uh, uh, There is no one-stop shop created yet that has a telework guru or expert to be able to tell you how to design uh, uh, a telework policy. So I believe that that businesses, agencies, firms, companies, whoever is designing the future uh, of telework, that they should uh, be aware that there are some challenges. There are some challenges. How do you measure it? What is the output? What supports the brand of the company that you are designing telework for? What are the objectives? What fits best with your information technology? Do you have the information technology to keep it up? And then uh, one of the things that we've, we've, one of the studies told us was that, um, uh, uh, one company found that its employees were 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 more innovative or creative in the office versus on a video conference. So it's things like that, child care, mental health, all of those type of things are going to have to be factored in when you look at the future of telework. Michael, did you want to add anything to that? 
Yeah, to echo and, and add to uh, some of what um, what John has said, I think we heard about some uh, concerns uh, about remote work, particularly the longer it went on. Um, we also heard about some opportunities that hadn't been uh, been been realized yet. So some of the, those concerns were around teamwork um, and 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 the not being sort of co-located uh, with your with your colleagues and the sort of impact that might have over time. And so I think from like a measurement standpoint, I think private sector managers, federal managers as well, think about how do you how do you measure that? How do you measure how well, uh, how productive is uh, are my employees doing? Is my is my organization doing? Um, so, so thinking ahead about uh, having a good idea of what 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 do you, what do your goals look like, and how do you know whether whether telework is really meeting those those goals? On the opportunity side, the sort of opportunity we heard a lot about but really hadn't been realized yet was on real estate savings that was going to come from reducing your footprint. The reason we hadn't seen that yet is that um, businesses, I think ultimately the federal government uh, also, hasn't decided um, how much and how often you're going to have your workers back in the office. I think once you pin that down, you get an idea of how big could those real estate savings be. And I think we could we could feel private sector managers with their sort of uh, return to office plans. You can you can feel them kind of balancing those considerations. We want people in person often enough to collaborate effectively, to build teams, to do to do creative thinking uh, together. Um, but maybe they're only in the office two thirds of the time, uh, and you could you could leverage some of those opportunities to significantly cut your your real estate bills. I think those are the long term effects. We haven't seen yet, but we think we think managers are going to be thinking about those and trying to measure them going forward. If you guys go back and and do this work, let's let's just throw out five years from now when we've had a time to kind of clear the pandemic time period, and I imagine that period of time will give us a chance to see how telework broadly across the economy and specifically within the federal government settles in. What do you think are the things that you will look at? or would look at, at, at that future date to compare to the data that you examined here? Yeah, I, I think one of the things you see in the private sector right now is sort of proliferation of experiments of different kinds of uh, hybrid, fully remote, or aggressively back in the office uh, um, options. That's that is that that variety itself is going to tell us a lot of what we need to know about what works uh, and what doesn't. Uh, the other thing I think is you'll see ultimately a lot of firms do shrink their in-person presence. So we're going to be able to put a number uh, to what some of those financial savings uh, uh, look like, um, and how do you how do you help those those fully remote teams and fully remote individuals uh, collaborate more effectively? How do you how do you measure uh, how you do that. I think we're going to have much better information on collaboration and cost savings over time. John, a final thought to you. If you were going to advise somebody at an agency on how to evaluate their own studies, whatever surveys or whatever information they might collect in the next, say, six months to a year, what would you advise them to look for as far as data to then make decisions about how they're going to structure the future work for their organization. Because my takeaway from what you said earlier is basically there's going to be no one size fits all. It's going to be very different for different organizations. And so I'm thinking if I'm that person or I'm on that team that's making those decisions, what should I be tracking or, or which data maybe should I pay more attention to than others as far as when I decide 
what's going to work best for my folks. Absolutely. And, and, and I believe that what I would highlight is you have to identify the appropriate outcome indicators to help managers assess the true impact and effectiveness of telework. Uh, uh, know your business, know what your goals are, know your risk, and then use that information to really design your telework policies. Gentlemen, it's terrific work, and it's really timely and important right now, and I'm grateful for you uh, to talk about it with me today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. You can find a link to John and Michael's work about telework in today's show notes, bedgovtoday.com. The Thrift Savings Plan is tracking 25 pieces of legislation that may affect its future. If some of those bills become law, they could change the way you save for your retirement. Kim Weaver's Director of External Affairs, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Kim, welcome. It's great to talk to you again. What are some of the pieces of legislation that you and your team are tracking that directly have to do with the TSP? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. It's a pleasure being here. There are five bills currently pending on the House and Senate. One would add a sustainable investment fund. One and the rest of them are trying to prohibit the TSP from investing in mainland China or in um, through the mutual fund window funds that use ESG criteria. Those are those are the the bulk of the bills that affect us directly. Um, and then there are those that uh, there's six of them that deal with members' pensions, member of Congress pensions. Right now, if they want to stop um, participating in the first defined benefit, they also have to opt out of the TSP. And these bills would allow them to opt out of the first defined benefit while continuing to participate in the TSP. Um, so those are the bulk of the, the bills that we're tracking. And then there are others um, that affect all federal agencies, things that affect personnel and cybersecurity and, and that sort of thing. When I saw this slide in the presentation that your team made to the board meeting this month, that number jumped out at me because it just seemed like a lot. 25 pieces of legislation overall, five dealing with individual investments, uh, six dealing with that. It's a lot to track for an organization like yours, it seems to me. What's the historical context there, Kim? Is there always well, that kind, that amount of stuff going on in Congress that could potentially affect participants? Generally, yeah. Um, we're obviously just in the first year of this Congress. Congress is run in two-year cycles, as you know. Um, and so last Congress, 2021 to 2022, there were 38 bills that we ended up tracking by the end of the end of the two-year span. And the previous Congress, 19 to 20, we had 39. So um, it's it's active. Another number that jumped out at me, Kim, that's surprising is your budget number, the request for fiscal 2024, smaller than 23, 23 smaller than 22. What's How is this trend line happening when a lot of other organizations in government need more and more and more? Well, between FY16 and FY21, we were seeing seven an annual average increase of 17%. And that wasn't sustainable either 
either for us as an organization, but more importantly, for the participants who fund our agency. Um, and we were spending that money to harden our software, our legacy hardware, update the architecture, all that sort of stuff. Um, and our IT people wouldn't appreciate me calling it stuff. All that important infrastructure that keeps us running. Um, but we were also at the same time working toward Converge, right? And so our budget um, spiked in 2021 because we were running at that point two record keeping systems, the old and the new. And it has decreased since then because we've um, decommissioned the legacy systems. We've decommissioned the two legacy mainframes. Um, and we're now at a point where we're in steady state for Converge. And so, as you say, we're asking for, um, well, the board approved at our, our, our board meeting um, a $476 million budget, which is a 1% decrease from last year. Um, and that was a large, that was in part sort of a stable budget number and a stable budget ask was what one of the factors that we had when we were designing Converge. Good news for security in the thrift savings plan, according to audit results, uh, independent audit results for your Federal Information Security Management Act audit for fiscal 23, uh, all fours and fives, uh, including one uh, supply chain risk management moving from level one, not so great in fiscal 2022 to uh, level four in 23. What's the overall read on all of that stuff, Kim? Well, as you might imagine, we're thrilled. Um, but this is, I think, an excellent example of sort of the, the um, when we were working to harden our infrastructure earlier, um, we had, had decided, we had thought that the most cost-effective, the most cost-effective level to stick at was going to be level four, because to get to a level five under our old system would have been cost prohibitive. Um, but now that we're in the cloud, now that we have a different uh, IT infrastructure, that is what is allowing us to get to the fours and fives that you're seeing. And to be clear, this encompasses the entire bubble. So it's all of the TSP. It's not just our little agency, but it's also um, our vendors who are servicing uh, our participants. Is it a reasonable goal to think that these fours will go to five or is that cost prohibitive across the board on a number of these functions? I don't know. I, d I don't have the answer to that. I, I do know that um, we are obviously looking to maintain where we are, right? We don't want to regress, but uh, I don't know whether moving to all fives is something that we're aiming for. Kim Weaver, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks very much. Thank you, Francis. Pleasure being here. You can read more in today's show notes at fedgovtoday.com. The next edition of the FedGov Today podcast is coming Tuesday. The chief information officer at the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agencies making a culture shift there. Robert Costello will tell you how on the next FedGov Today podcast. 
I know you're really busy and you might not catch all the podcasts and TV shows FedGov Today offers you. If you want to keep up with everything we're releasing, you can follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. And follow the show on LinkedIn, too, to get the latest updates. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Thanks very much for listening. Talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you.